two-year anniversary, two-year anniversary, two-year Harrison, good father Harrison. Yeah, I've made a decision. I made a decision that I'm gonna stop apologizing or explaining jokes on the podcast. Okay. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. You know, there's. I mean, we joke about a lot of things. Some things serious. Some things not serious. Uh-huh. And I think there's something good about joking about serious things. It's a reminder that we are not in control. That God is. That uh, the mysteries of God, while beautiful, are also funny sometimes. Mm -hmm. And funny doesn't necessarily mean frivolous. And frivolity, if I can try to say a word, uh, um, is a good thing in and of itself. And the thing is, you're not always going to appeal to everyone. And not everyone's going to have the same sense of humor. Mm -hmm. But if you always apologize or try to explain your jokes afterwards or that you were just saying something in jest or tongue-in-cheek, it kind of ruins the whole thing. Right. So for better or for worse, I'm going to just trust that people realize or are willing to have the faith that we're not terrible priests. Uh And we just use humor sometimes. Cool. And that's what I'm going to try to do. So you just explained that you don't explain jokes, but now you've to prepare yourself for a joke. Yes, I am okay. aware of the irony okay. and okay. what has just happened. <laughs> but this is my this is the final fig leaf, the uh, the 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 peaceful palm branch, the 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 yeah. the trout of 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 reconciliation that I'm going to pass. Okay, uh, and just to give people a heads up that sometimes I'm just going to say silly things. All right, and if you don't see them as silly. Maybe that's not my fault. It might be. It might be at times be my fault, but maybe it's just not. All right. That's where I'm at. I'm not I'm not, not angry. I just, you know what? For the quality of the content, and content is king, uh, I'm just going to just say things. Say away. Uh, I mean, I've got no jokes right now. Oh, you're just... This is just something I've been thinking about. I've been thinking about, you know? And you can do you. You can do whatever. But... Um, yeah. I think, I mean, yeah, there's, uh, how do I want to put it? There's a lot of whataboutism out there. Sure. Right? Sure. There's that. There's, you know, people who aren't going to listen in good faith. Right. But most of the people who listen to us are cool, normal, and chill. That's right. And should I not, should I not tend to their needs as well? Absolutely. And what they desire is a, a little bit of frivolity and being cool and normal and chill ourselves. Yeah. I, and how do I want to put this? It's just... Always listen or read or anything with charity at heart. 
Right. Which is presume the best of the person speaking. And they might, st- I mean, it might turn out that they're terrible people. Right. I mean, who knows? Right. Right. <laughs> or, it might. Or, or maybe they're not terrible people. Maybe you just disagree. Right. Which is okay. You're allowed to disagree. This is normal. Absolutely. You're allowed to disagree. Uh, but do it out of heart, you know, do it to charity where you say, hey, you know what? I don't get this. And you can right. say, it's, it's a joke. You know, the Father so Dan, I, we need I mean, the Father after- Dan meme a lot. Right, exactly. It's just a joke. Now, I I am becoming, every day, every moment of my life, I'm becoming more and more of an old person. And sometimes I come across a joke or a meme from the young people, and I do not understand Mm -hmm. what is going on. Right. You know what I do? I just keep scrolling. That's right. Just keep scrolling. Just keep scrolling. Not everything is for me. Yeah. I am not the center of the universe. Right. Don't exactly. get me wrong. I am a bright star near the center of the universe, <laughs> but not the actual center, you know? Um, and this is this is just, I, honestly, just thinking about the last few podcasts, there have yeah. been a few times we've been like, it's a joke, it's a joke, it's a joke. Well, you know, if you don't think that uh, priests saying that all lay people are trash, right. if you actually think we're being serious about that, then I know what to tell you go ahead and hate my face so there you go now that being said that being said it's not like i've gotten any actual bad feedback but just genuinely kind of thinking like maybe we should just be free to be ourselves right and that's the appeal of all this anyway exactly and and you what you lose listeners you lose listeners it's what it is and right we're gonna just be in us we're just gonna continue being us you know, since we're being meta yeah. and talking about the podcast, yeah. uh, the one, the very funny thing I think about our podcast is uh, the Summa Theologica theme. Yeah. And Nick's whole idea behind it was that our podcast was just going to be a joke podcast and it wasn't going to last. Yeah. So he, he, he thought of something funny, but didn't really think about it too much. He just went for it. And here That's we right. are. Here we are on our two-year anniversary. Is That's it right. It's, this is two years. We've done and this for two years. Yeah. And it turns out some people find what we talk about helpful. You see, and that's wonderful. That's right. That makes me very happy. And we're happy that you listen along. And now, and here, here, here's the thing with, uh, yeah. um, with the the Suma. We you hear you hear the stuff, you know, and it's like, do what though? When we were at uh, SLS there, and everyone was singing along with it, that told me this is something that needs to stay. It's it whether it's good or whether it's bad is not the point. That's right. It simply isn't. Right. The fact is that it is. It's iconic. Yes, exactly. It can never die. It can ever, ever, ever die. Yeah. It is It is. It is the alpha and the omega of our podcast. It will always be there. And even if we skip over a week, spiritually, it's still there. Yeah, no. No, let me, let me, let me, pander, let me pander to our listeners for a yes, moment. Yes, pander, pander away. And by pander, I mean, this is actually very genuine. That <laughs> we do this, we do this um, uh, for fun. In fact, we're doing this, we're recording right now on our day off. That's right. Which we do not need to do, but no. Well, we, we actually do. we have to today because I'm moving. Okay, but like yes. we could have just not done a podcast, right? We could have, right? But but here's the thing: a little peek behind the curtain. Father Anthony's like, we have to have it every week, and I'm like, all right, <laughs> I fine. am that way. I am. He that is that way. way. So I, out of charity for every my brother, week. <laughs> I I ascend, I accede to his wishes. I just know the feeling of when my favorite podcasts, they go on hiatus for a week or two. And a lot of times it's for very understandable reasons like family emergencies or just technical malfunction. And that's all understandable and okay. But at the same time, I'm uh, a bright star near the center of the universe and I want my podcast every week. Right. 
So I understand that as well. But That's as right. I was trying to say something genuine a moment ago, mm-hmm. yes, um, I think like I am very appreciative of everyone who listens to us, uh, who prays uh, for us, and mm-hmm. who gets some sort of good out of this. Because I mean, we're priests, and we do want to help people and bring people closer to Jesus. And mm-hmm. I am delighted that in some small way, this podcast is, it seems to do that thing. Mm -hmm. So that's why I enjoy it so much. And that's why I demand that Father Harrison record every week. (laughs) I don't care if he's becoming a bishop. I don't care if he's sent off to the missions in anywhere. We're going to do it every week. And even when he's not there, if for longtime listeners, I'll just do the podcast by myself and it'll be terrible. But you know what you're going to get? You're going to get some kind of content. (laughs) And speaking of content... Welcome to Clerically Speaking. Hi, I'm Father Anthony. I'm uh, Father Harrison. And uh, yeah, no, I guess I just want to reflect a little bit more then too. Yeah, it's, it's again, it's this This will be just our little aside. Uh, we um, Listen, we totally skipped over our 100th episode. We forgot about it. So that's we, true. we can once, once uh, every two years, we can talk a little bit about the podcast. We that's can right. indulge. Yeah. Well, we won't be like the first year anniversary podcast where it was just all about the podcast. Um, oh, no. we did do that. We yes, did, we did do that. Yes, yeah, we did do that. Uh, <laughs> so I, you know, like I just want to first say, like I've gotten a few letters from listeners and stuff, which I'm very mm-hmm. appreciative of. And I, I had planned to write you back, but um, moving has been difficult. So if you're a listener and you wrote, uh, just know that the letters got packed away and uh, I might get, I might not be the best about writing back, but uh, uh, the notes were very, very kind and encouraging to say, yeah, what we do is worth doing. And uh, it's really, it's always a joy for us. I mean, like, I'll be honest. Yeah, there are some weeks I'm like, I just want to just, I want one week break. I just want one break from recording. But... No, but yeah, Father Father Anthony rules the, the roost here. So mm-hmm. um, even though I've got more followers than him on Twitter, so. <laughs> you do have more followers than me on Twitter. This is undeniable. He had to blow up his account for that to happen, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, hey, I mean the numbers are numbers. Numbers don't exactly. lie. The numbers don't lie. <laughs> um, but no, it's been it's it's really it's really cool. And again, just the the, the neat opportunities to meet people. Uh, the um, it's been yeah it's been it's just weird still to me I don't know about you I I still find it weird that it's become what it is <laughs> yeah and we were talking uh, just a little bit after our last recording about how it's fascinating and delightful to see how God has been using the podcast for us kind of providentially. Mm-hmm. Like bringing together whatever's going on in your spiritual life or pastoral life and mine, and how how much has benefited us and our priesthood mm-hmm. and people listening. And so like, yeah, it's really. I mean, on one hand, of course, God can use whatever He wants to bring about His greater glory, mm-hmm. but uh, it's just kind of cool and funny that He also uses these podcasts, and that makes me happy. Yeah, no, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a, it is. It's an opportunity for me to reflect. On different things of ministry or I, I, i'm an external processor so it's like i'm mm-hmm. reading this this is if i you know i'm reading if uh if suddenly i've got like threads on twitter or something like that and that's usually a good sign that's probably going to be a podcast topic um mm-hmm. but it gives me an opportunity yeah, to, to kind of explore ideas and to have a good conversation with my my good brother priest here and um and i'm really yeah i'm just grateful i'm really just uh grateful for for this opportunity that we have to do this for however However long this God deigns to allow this to continue, right? So, uh, six seasons in a movie. Have you been watching Community lately? <laughs> I have been watching Community lately. Actually, I, you know, I've, 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 
Yes, after after I'm I've got bogged down in the last season and I haven't watched it in a month or so, but it's still in my brain. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, uh, but yeah, so no, basically, yeah, but, oh, do you have anything no, else? Anything else to say? Just, um, just thanks for coming along for the ride, and we're going to continue to try and be. One of my goals for the next year is to be more prepared with my topics. Um, oh, that's interesting because my goal is to be less prepared okay. and to have you pick up actually all the slack of this podcast. So, yeah, but I've already been doing that for two years. So, what's going to change? Well, we're just going to see. We're just going to keep pushing and see how far okay. you can go before you <laughs> fly to Pittsburgh and just beat me up for being unprepared. That's my goal. But here's the thing: you, I will take yeah. like a metal chair to your head. You're going to be so happy that I did something wrestling related, right? That you won't actually even be in pain. No, no. Uh, it, that's that's why the goal is for. <laughs> Before our third anniversary, um, I want you to physically assault me with a metal chair. That's okay. what I want to happen. So I think it's good to have goals. I think that's an attainable one. It's yeah. a concrete goal. You have to have yeah. concrete goals. That's and right. my head that's crashing right. against the concrete after the metal chair is a very concrete goal. That's right. And uh, that's the plan. Um, that's right. Yeah. It's But I, I, I do. I want to. I've found writing out by hand to prepare prepare a podcast topic has actually been very helpful for me on multiple levels. So I want to try and do that more this coming year. Yeah. And so just it's neat that God can bring good things out of podcasts. Yeah. And hopefully we can bring some good things out of Twitter in today's Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. drinking a drink okay um let's um okay first up this is from oh is this a french name it might be a french name i gotta pronounce it in an authentic french way this is from marcel Lejeune. 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 Uh, yeah Lejeune. That's, Lejeune. that's exactly what i said i just said that do not uh-huh. repeat after like that's unnecessary bad content so uh <laughs> he tweets question for hashtag catholic twitter to consider do you think God may not want us to return to, quote, normal, unquote, parish life after the pandemic eases? Discuss, in parentheses, charitably, please. Now, I have no idea if this was discussed charitably or not, but this is something we've kind of alluded to. Mm-hmm. And it, it really hinges on what we consider normal parish life. Mm-hmm. I think in a lot of ways, at least in Amer- uh, American parish life, has kind of been... Uh, floundering, uh, working on models that are, that maybe never were good. Um, and I'm speaking very broadly, of course. Uh, but is the pandemic forcing us? I would like us to take the challenges of the pandemic seriously. And it is an opportunity to reconsider and think deeply and listen deeply to figure out, okay, how can parish life be more effective? And effective meaning bringing more people to Jesus Christ. Because a lot of times I feel like parishes uh, attempt to be self-sustaining communities that look inward, and that needs to stop. 
Uh, and we, you realize the, um, just what's lacking in that model, because when you can't do all the fundraisers and we can't do all the things, and when a lot of young people aren't going to parishes, uh, it can't be this inward looking thing. Right. And I, I do worry cause I feel like a lot of the changes that are being made and like changes with reconsolidation in my diocese, I feel as though these changes are being made in order to keep things the same, in mm-hmm. order to, despite all the differences and us being uncomfortable, I feel like a lot of the changes we are making are to keep us comfortable. I know that's vague, but that's kind of where I'm at with that. And I do think this is an opportunity to do something different. Yeah. Do you want to be more specific or do you want to be vague like me? I'll, I don't know. I'll try here. Have you have you read um, the Con- Congregation for Clergy's document for parishes yet? I have heard other people talk about it, which yeah. basically makes me an expert. But no, I have not read it. Okay. I've just scanned it and I've been pretty which impressed. Which makes with... you an expert. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. You know, read, read a little bit here and there. Read what yeah. I like and then ignore <laughs> what I don't like and that makes me an expert, right? Exactly. Um, no, I... I, yeah, I skimmed it a little bit. I've heard other people talking about it as well, read some articles on it and stuff. So um, I've been really impressed by it because it really recognizes the, at least it really recognizes the ecclesial situation in North America. I actually personally think it was a bit of a, a little bit of a dig at the Germans and hearing about the German reaction to the document. Apparent, I, you know, my theory is just becoming more and more confirmed because um, the Germans are, are do not like this document. The German bishops do not like this document. Um, um, but it, it really tries to recognize that parishes exist to evangelize and that the day of kind of bureaucratic and it even kind of goes against bureaucracy a lot in the church, uh, which is kind of funny from the Vatican. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it really tries to reemphasize the idea that these places where the church doesn't hold and the, the Christian life doesn't hold in the culture as it once did in certain places needs to be revitalized by the new evangelization. Now, the new evangelization does not mean, as uh, some friends put on another podcast, you know, it does not mean more YouTube videos and stuff no. like this, right? But it means a new vigor of reaching out to those who were really never like properly raised in, in the faith, right? Like, like um, people who never really learn the faith you know uh, it, people who may have been right. sacramentalized but never catechized yeah yeah uh, and people who in the culture have who have been brought up with the fumes of christianity in the right. air but yeah. nothing solid <laughs> yeah um and they, this got a, is, they got a whiff they got a whiff they got a whiff but not but not uh not uh, the whole thing and i think people downplay the new evangelization like oh what about the old evangelization guess what you're not clever because this is a different time That's the right. church hasn't experienced um, evangelizing to a culture that has heard the name of Jesus, but has, um, for many different reasons, just let that fall apart. Like this is a different situation. And so, yeah, a lot of the things in the old evangelization are going to be absolutely necessary, but we have to acknowledge, uh, the culture and the time period we're in. Mm -hmm. That's what makes it quote unquote new. And I think we're still in transition in this. So I have Mm -hmm. a few a few opinions. Um, I, I agree. So I agree with Marcel that a, and we've said this, like you were saying that we said this a lot in the podcast, that this is actually an opportunity 
of the whole, by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's using this opportunity to purify his, the church and to help her re-examine herself. And I actually kind of worry myself, like a few months after, kind of re- a couple months now after reopening, I'm like, are we just trying to reinstate the status quo that we had before? And that really worries me um, that we're not like, no, no one's really asking questions of like, like there's never really been any like theological interpretations of the moment. Right. Really, if you think about it, and I don't think that's helpful. There's been bureaucratic decisions, which I honestly actually agree with a lot of them, like what the bishops have been doing and stuff like this. But there's not really been an attempt to say, how is God actually working right now in this moment of history in the church? Right. What's he trying to do in the church right now? And we should be asking that question more. And I think parishes need to be asking that question more. And it's up to us as priests, I think, to help lead those discussions and those reflections and to bring that question to mind to people. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, this is a moment, I, like one of my little theological reflections is that it's, it's really, it's going to force the church to downsize. Um, some people will not come back because uh, they got used to not going to mass for a few months and you build yeah, bad mm-hmm. habits, right? It's really, it's going to force the church to downsize and it's also going to force her to hopefully pick up the energy to evangelize. But this is the third one. This is one I think really is really important. One of the teachings of Vatican II that I think has not been been implemented properly in the church is the vocation of the laity. Mm -hmm. And I think still, we're still living in a mindset of the 80s, 70s, 80s, and early 90s, which says that we are to clericalize lay people. So wait, wait, I'm confused. Okay. Uh, is the vocation of a laity not to be Eucharistic ministers? I mean, they can be, but it's not their primary vocation. Oh, it's, it's for them to be ushers. Um, I mean, again, they can be, but okay, no, no, it's 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 to uh, I know what it is. It's to be lectors. It can be, but <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing: here's like yeah. like my parish right now. We need all of those right now, so yeah. I'm not saying they're unimportant. No, 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 exactly. And they, and they have a legitimate place in the ministry of the church. But if you read the documents of the Second Vatican Council, this is one thing that I think has been vastly underplayed, and I think it would be good to do an episode on this. Um, and I, I'd actually, I, I, I will spearhead that as an episode one day because I think it's so important. Um, the, the, the church says that really the laity, there's there's kind of two orientations with the church, and two Latin phrases to talk about the orientation with the church. There is facing the church or facing ad intra, that is looking into the church and working into the church, like within her structures and her ministries. Or there's ad extra, looking beyond the walls of the church to make the church present to the world. The Second Vatican Council teaches that largely that's the vocation of all the laity. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's been implemented yet. No, no, I don't think it has as well. And I think this is a moment where we can actually really allow the council's teaching to take heart, but we're going to need formation and teaching and Episcopal leadership, I honestly think, to help make this a reality. Because right now, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, okay, again, I know we said our little thing at the beginning, but I'm not saying that there shouldn't be lay people working in the church. I'm just saying. no. I'm just saying. Yeah, we definitely. Yeah, I'm just saying though that, but if they are, I really do think though that if they are, their ministry, whatever they're participating in, also ought to have an add extra focus towards the outside instead of just trying to maintain the status quo of a parish and its ministries and, and its functions. 
Right, right. And, and on that note, like, our parish could not function without the lady that right. we have. Right, Like, I mean, we have, I mean, at my parish, I am so grateful for our pastoral team, which includes religious, um, as well as, like, our youth minister, our middle school formation, but the lady who uh, helps organize all of our... Um, fundraisers and everything and it's 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 interesting because it's not just fundraisers it's getting communities to work together it's deeper than just raising money and all that is super necessary i think it's also important to acknowledge how difficult and i'm not sure if it needs to be this difficult but it is uh how difficult it is for a lay person to work professionally for the church Mm -hmm. uh because uh i i just i just know a lot of lay people who have been really burnt out by parish experiences Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think it's a special kind of cross when a lay person works for the church and some people are indeed called to that cross. Uh, but the, what is missing is what you've said is this, uh, more common, uh, cross of going out to the world of the people, the parishioners bringing people in to the parish and not for the sake of the parish, but for the sake of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and so often we see the parish as the goal, but the parish is not the goal. The parish is the means towards Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just much easier to see the church or to see the parish as just an institution, as just this thing which is good in and of itself. And we need to look deeper than that. Yes, exactly. So um I so you know in the end I actually really agree with Marcel. And mm-hmm. I think I hope and I pray, because if we don't, the church is going to shrivel up a lot. And and guess what? Here's the thing, folks. Mm-hmm. All things work together for good for those who love God. So it's not the end of the world if that happens. But I'm just saying, um, we, we kind of have a decision point right now. Well put. Cool. Uh, my turn. All right. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> from uh, Amigo de, de Frodo, uh, from Bishop de, uh, de Flores. So um, I, was, I really like this quote. Um, a Catholic form of traditionalism can sort of morph into just another boring version of modernism when it becomes consumed with deconstructing the living magisterium of the church through subjective criteria. Um, he continues on, a general statement inviting reflection, it suggests there can be can develop a convergence between two lines of thought often considered unrelated. If you think it is absurd or that it could be accurate in principle but does not apply in our universe, at least you thought about it. But... Yeah, so I think... You're going to have to break that down sorry, a little bit. I'm going to just really focus. I shouldn't have actually read the second part. But anyways, um, <laughs> it is what it is. Um, so th- what he's talking about here, I think is so important. Um, and he's try- He's not He's not against tradition. Actually, if you ever see him talk about... he, I, I think he's... Liturgically, he seems to be quite a guy who, who appreciates good liturgy from sure. what I've seen on, on his Twitter. So... But he's talking about a form of traditionalism. So he's not saying all quote-unquote traditionalism here. But he says that it becomes a form of modernism, right? So again, for those who don't remember, do you remember what modernism is? It's this uh, denial of mediation. That's right. God and the world don't interact with each other. And so therefore, at in one form of it, we become our own arbiters of our own destiny. We make things up for ourselves, essentially. We, we create our own meaning and stuff like this. Uh, or at least that's an effect of modernism. Sure. And so he's saying that there's a form of traditionalism that's a really actually modernism. And he he's dead right. Mm-hmm. He is de- this is something I've been saying for a long time. 
I know there are people who listen to the podcast who love the TLM and stuff like that, and that's fine. Like he's not going against that. What no. he's trying to say is that there is traditionalism where it becomes its own magisterium, and that isn't um, Catholic. Catholic, <laughs> yeah. Right. When you become the arbiter of what is what is authentic magisterium, you've ceased being Catholic because you are not one to judge. And there is, and, and I, I hate to say it, there is a growing form online of a traditionalism that essentially says, my tastes, my vision of doctrine is more important than what some bishop or pope has said. And they become the arbiters of determining what is authentic tradition and magisterium. And that's really modernism because it's really saying, again, there's no, there's no transcending or objective guide to understanding what Christ teaches through his church. Therefore, I'm going to be it. That's modernism. That's not tradition. That's never been traditionalism. A good, healthy traditionalism sees the contemporary magisterium in dialogue with the past and being handed over constantly by the teaching and offices of the bishops, whereby there is always an open and authentic dialogue, but it requires our religious assent of will and intellect to these things to say, I, I accept this. Now, it doesn't mean I have to formally accept all things that aren't dogma as definitive truths, but it means I'm going to give the magisterium the benefit of the doubt, which you do not see in some forms of traditionalism. Yeah, and you see a really uh, the American uh, heresy creep into a lot of uh, people who claim to be traditionalist. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did a whole podcast at some time on obedience and there is such a deep need to rediscover the spiritual truth of obedience. Um, but also in, in these kind of uh, radical traditionalists, um, as you described, there's a deep poverty of spirituality. And there's a refusal to see the cross as salvific. And what I mean by that is there, there ultimately isn't a faith that God can bring good out of what is evil because a lot of traditionalists will uh, of, of this kind will point out yeah there's a lot of stuff that's n- not going well in the church and you and i would agree with that mm-hmm. there's lots of reasons to be disappointed by uh, some members of the hierarchy or to be uh disappointed or angry at a lot of stuff that's been going on in the church that's true but they take it a step further and then take the church into their own hi- own hands, not trusting in God, not trusting in the deeper spiritual right. truths and seeing themselves as saviors, uh, either through their blogs or podcasts or tweets. And and it's so hard to explain or to dialogue or to w- with people like this, because the the point we're making is more nuanced mm-hmm. it's it's hard for them to step back and take a wider scope of things because they're so entrenched in the particular and in the right now which as you said that's that's a kind of a form of modernism this taking things into your own hands and creating right. your own meaning because you don't think uh, god can actually work in the world exactly you think you have to and this can happen with liturgy and this can happen with um very uh, goofy hippie liturgy and it can also happen with uh, more traditional forms of liturgy where the idea is as long as I do this liturgy the right way, then everything will be okay. Mm-hmm. And like all lies, there's, there's a truth that's been twisted. The liturgy, the mass, the holy sacrifice of the mass, uh, that is from which everything else flows. 
And indeed, the liturgy should look like what it is. The signs and symbols should point to the realities that are present. So mm-hmm. that's true. Like if you want good liturgy, yes, of course, that's a good thing to want. But the difference is that they believe that, and maybe they wouldn't say this exactly, but rubrics don't save. Right. The reality of the liturgy saves. Right. Now that means we should follow the rubrics. Like I'm not right. saying we shouldn't. I, I'm, right. I'm totally against the, the rubrics are at the service of the signs that are effective. Right. Exactly. But you see all these things that's, it's difficult. Uh, and when you've already decided who is good and who is bad, when you've, um, already like gone headlong into factionalism and tribalism, uh, you're not going to be able to have meaningful conversations with, that's right. with other people. Yeah. So, so don't be a modernist. Yeah, please. Could you, please? Could you stop? Could you please? stop doing that? Pretty please. Just just stop. Mm-hmm. Just stop. Just, just and that's the it. other thing. Like, um, that conversion doesn't just happen through uh, intellectual correctness. Uh, right. I'm not putting this very well. But a lot of times there needs to be like conversion of heart mm-hmm. and realize that part of the reason why you're unable to see the truth is because of your own attachment to sin. And that's something everyone has to watch out for. Uh, it, are this like, okay, what's going on in my personal prayer life? Mm-hmm. And if we don't attend to those things first, then we're, we're going to be useless. We're going to be right. useless. Absolutely. Because God, God doesn't need you to save the church. He doesn't need Father Harrison. He doesn't need me. Nope. But he will use us if we are first humbly submissive to him and his will. Then, then he, he'll, he'll use us as he sees fit. Amen. Okay, um, let's, uh, let's do some presbyteral exhortations. Awesome. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's the best part. Yes. Yes, quite. Yes. So this kind of goes into our, our, our first tweet from Marcel about... Uh, rethinking I'm, I'm very hesitant to say rethinking the parish because that can right that kind of branding is kind of icky to me um okay okay hold on a second uh, see what i was doing there was i was uh burping off mic ah. and then leaving a pause so that nick could edit that out now he won't because he's a jerk <laughs> right but just that's i'm just demonstrating okay it just means you're more charitable than he is and therefore <laughs> closer true. to jesus Okay, good. So, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, faith formation and youth ministry. Okay. So, this this all came about um, from my experience at my parish. So, when I first got into my parish, um, there had been some youth ministry, and some very good people uh, on a volunteer basis had run the youth ministry. And it was a difficult situation because a lot of times the parochial vicar had taken over youth ministry. And for a while in my parish, the parochial vicars, I mean, it was a revolving door. Like guys would be there for a year or two years and then move. So there was no consistency. Right. And so uh, some of uh, the people of the parish kind of took that over and uh, did their best and did a good job. But the thing is, uh, for youth ministry to work, in my opinion, you really need someone who's dedicated to it. You need a full-time person to do this thing, okay? Mm-hmm. So uh, when uh, we hired our youth minister, uh, who is Patrick from The Crunch, um, he kind of had to start off from scratch. And he started off by advertising everything, um, having meetings with parents, doing all this prep work. And the first time he had a youth night, one person came. 
Right. And we were very thankful for that one person who came. Um, yeah. But like that kind of shows you kind of where he started at. Yes. It wasn't just like the size. It was there wasn't an understanding of what youth ministry was in the culture of the parish. Like a lot of people um, didn't quite understand what youth ministry even meant. Like it was kind of foreign to some parents. And I was uh, speaking with some uh, couples getting them ready for marriage. Mm-hmm. And they were telling me how they didn't grow up in our area with with youth ministry. And, and potentially maybe that's their own fault. Maybe they didn't know what was going on and something was going on. But for my perception, Patrick was starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so within the course of a year, you know, he's brought up the youth ministry numbers. We have 30 kids registered. Um, we, he was just starting to form a, like a leadership team, uh, among the teens. And we just had our first retreat and we're just getting momentum. And then of course the Rona happens. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, when he first started, like literally like the first day he started, he, get, he started getting calls from the various people who ran at the time, um, our fundraisers. Mm-hmm. And they said, we need this many kids to do this, and we need them by this day. And he was like, first of all, I don't even know who the kids are yet. I just got here today. But also, he was very hesitant because he didn't want to the youth of the parish to be treated just as workers. And this is the thing that happens in parishes sometimes. Like, you have a parish festival, and then you get the teens to take out the trash and to move heavy things. Mm-hmm. Now, on a certain level that's something that young people can do that older people will have trouble with, right? So I'm not like knocking it in principle, but there's an immediate kind of like uh, the youth should be present so they can do work for us. Right. Okay, so that was going on. Like I said, I think this is not an uncommon thing to happen in parishes. Mm -hmm. Now, as we've moved on, uh, people once again began asking the youth to participate in fundraisers. But this time it's, it's a little different. It's a desire to see the youth within the parish life, within the wider parish life, right? Because mm-hmm. And this is a tough thing for all youth ministers. A lot of times youth ministers aren't appreciated because they don't keep regular office hours because they're kind of running around doing ministry. Um, and a lot of times that isn't seen either by the other parish staff or the parishioners because their focus is on the youth. Uh, so we had a big conversation about it. It was very good uh, moving forward about what we need to do. But it got me thinking about my own youth group experience, which was very good. I think a lot of times youth ministry can develop alongside the life of the parish, but not integrated with it at all. Mm -hmm. For me growing up, and I was very much involved in my youth group, um, my youth group was my family. My parish was not. Right. Like the parish was just the building where we had youth group. And of course, I went to Mass on Sundays and all that, but it wasn't like a thing. And this became very obvious when I became a seminarian because the parish was very supportive and they wanted me to do things and they wanted me to show up to things. And I was like, why? I'm not a part of you. I don't even know who you people are. Mm-hmm. That was my like, gut reaction. Uh, and then like looking back on that, like that's not good though. And I think you you see this in some circles um, of young people in in uh, in the church, right? That their experience, how they got to know Jesus Christ, was through the youth group, and the parish was just some place you went to mass, and then they had a deep experience either at a place like Steubenville or on Catholic Heart. These you know uh, things that are outside the parish, and so they grow up and become adults and have kids and feel no connection to parishes. Mm-hmm. I think you see some of this in the fact that a lot of young people don't donate to parishes. 
And there's other factors in that, of course. You know, there's economics in that, and it's very, it's much more difficult to raise, uh, you know, a family financially now than it was in the past, maybe. So there's there's lots of reasons, but I think part of it's this reason. Does that does that sound right, or am I on the right track? Or yeah, no, totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I have nothing to partially. I mean, it's hard for me to have a at least from the the subjective side of experience. My only, I never went to youth group when I was in high school. So right, because you were right? a dirty, dirty heathen most of your life. Exactly right. So, <laughs> and I mean, I I think sometimes I. But I think you're right. I think the way we often look at youth ministry is that, and not just. But I even go further. It's not just youth ministry. It's just ministry in general. Mm-hmm. We tend to not allow it to be integrated totally into life of the church. And I don't think that's a good thing. Like, I still remember actually listening to Pat talk on the crunch about um, going to a knight's meeting, becoming a knight and talk about how like these guys who are like 60 years old are calling him his brother now, right. As he's initiated. And I'm like, yeah, that's the way he can. He was like really happy about that. You know, like we tend to look at, Oh, it's just old people there. Well, that's your family, actually. That's your that's your Christian family, and right? And, yeah, it's like yeah. here. Maybe that's what's the reality or whatever. But then you, as a younger person, can give life to those older people, and those older people can give you a wisdom. Like you guys can form each other instead of seeing each other as in competition, right? Right, and it's not just that. Like uh, this kind of factionalism happens in other aspects of the parish. Yeah, like uh, you know the the ladies who make pierogies are the same ladies who've been making pierogies for thirty years. Yeah, and sometimes they're hesitant to let new people into the group, or the Knights of Columbus might you know be separated from the parish. And so, uh, I think this is a wider thing that happens in parishes, kind of sectionalism. Yeah, uh, but I think it's it's manifesting because right now we need. Younger people to be, as I, I think I said earlier, uh, we need more ushers and we need more Eucharistic ministers and we need them to be younger because of coronavirus things, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, like the call was made, you know, okay, so these older people built the parish, now it's time for you to step up. And I get that, but I think there's a question we're, we're not asking. And why is it that young people aren't quote unquote stepping up? And why is it that they don't feel a connection to the parish? And this is something you see, like uh, a lot of uh, young people in parishes, they don't feel married to a, a parish. Like mm-hmm. maybe they got their sacraments there, but a lot of young people like going from parish to parish to see, experience different things, see different church architecture. Um, and you see it even with uh, the different consolidations that are happening in my diocese, mm-hmm. that it's the older generation that are having much, a much more difficult time with it because they're much more attached to right. the parish. Right. And I'm not even saying that attachment is necessarily a bad thing. Like to have love for this place that is, that has been your home. That makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's not that. And I'm trying to figure out or think about, okay, why, why is that going on? I think a part of it is sometimes a youth minister will have a different spiritual vision than that of the priest. Mm-hmm. I think in a lot of cases, in different places, a lot of times, you know, we've we've just experienced that priests don't maybe don't even have a spiritual vision for the parish. Right. Either they're so overwhelmed by administration, or they've been worn down, or they haven't been taught this. It could be a thousand different reasons, right? Yeah. But a lot of times, if you're uh, someone going into youth ministry, I think you tend to have that spiritual vision. You, uh, yeah. Although, and can I push yeah. back a little bit on that? Yeah, please, 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 please. I, I would say though too. 
often when people are those who are doing youth ministry are younger, right? Like the people who are taking right. charge of it are younger, and rightfully so, they should be. But that that needs to be purified. Like the enthusiasm and vision that they have needs to be purified, and like that it's okay. It's okay to enter into futility of coming up against the wall. Yeah, I'm, right? I'm not yeah. disagreeing with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I just think like it's a, it's a two way street. Like, but again, th- for me, that's part of the integration. It's like, can we can they learn from each other? Right, right, right. But yeah. I think okay, yeah. I think you're right. I think yeah. that doesn't happen. But the thing is, with youth ministry, as opposed to other things, is that you kind of can create your own little kingdom, right? Yeah. You can form these kids in a way that you think is the right way. And it may indeed be the right way. But what got me thinking about this, like, wait a second. One of the reasons why it's important to have these kids involved in uh, the fundraising things is because these older people, they don't just want their these kids to work. They want what you had mentioned they want to see them and to welcome them into the parish and on some level you know pierogi making or stuffed cabbage making or helping out the fish fry that might seem shallow but these are opportunities for the community to gather Mm -hmm. and in a lot of suburban parishes these are the only opportunities for the community to gather right like this is this is where the the community happens uh and so, uh, but there's another thing. Okay, so there's there's all of that, that I just said. But there's a, another problem with understanding what youth ministry is, uh, is that youth ministry is ministry and not just catechesis. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to move more to an understanding of our catechesis should be more ministry and less catechesis, I think. What do you mean? Can you like th- break that down? Right. Yes, yes, right. Um, so, uh, who is the primary formator the of parents. the young Christian? The parents. the parents. The parents, right? It's primarily the parents' job to raise... I mean, this is all over the baptismal liturgy. It's primarily the parents' role to raise your children up to keep the commandments as Christ taught us, to raise them in the faith, to keep that flame of uh, faith burning in their hearts. Uh, and indeed, as you get older... You have to take that on for yourself, absolutely, but it's primarily the parents' fault. I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, primarily the parents' duty. <laughs> Freudian <laughs> slip. Freudian slip there, right? Because just looking at where we're at, this has not happened. And yeah. it's... Yeah, and no, like, this, I don't this is think, a big thing. I mean, this is, gets right? to the, what we were talking about earlier about the lapsed Catholics, right? It's, yeah. It's, 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 um, it's been... A, there, we're still feeling the effects of... a. Of a generational exodus in a because like I do think it is happening. I do think it does happen, but it's with the younger Catholic families whose kids aren't in youth ministry yet. Right. But I think it's happening with, with families of like kids who were very involved in youth right. ministry. Right. Or something else akin to that. They they somehow yeah. had some like deep experience of the faith. They have seen that a lot of times uh, parishes don't build this up. And they're starting anew to try to do it with their families. I've seen right. that. Yeah. And of course, I'm painting with broad strokes here. This is coming from my experience, but I think it's I think it's not an uncommon um, experience. But getting back to this point of how okay, so um, without getting into why, let's just this is just where we're at. Uh, that a lot of parents either have no interest or no ability to pass on the faith. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I think parishes have tried to fix this. And they've tried to fix it by being the uh, young person's primary formator. Mm-hmm. And we've seen how this isn't work. This does not work, right? Because you can't teach them everything about the faith mm-hmm. and give them the faith uh, once a week for an hour. Yeah. And this is why I think you see so much drop off after confirmation, right? That they get confirmed uh, and then they're, they, they leave the church, practically speaking. Yeah. It's, it, this is also a really weird thing that parents still feel obligated to get their kids confirmed, but I don't think they even know why. Right. Or they, like, we, we did this thing in our parish where we made mass a part of faith formation. So we uh-huh. changed the schedule to make that work, and we kind of told people that um, for your kid to pass faith formation, you have to go to mass with them. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we did that, I saw so many young people that I had never seen the previous, like, six months at my parish. Mm-hmm. And since the coronavirus, I have not seen them again. And right. we've been doing outdoor masses, and like, like of course, I've seen some, well, but I haven't seen here, them again. Yeah, but like, I think, I think, so, I, I, I really do think a lot of like, so I, I have a lot of friends in a small parish in my diocese, um, uh-huh. and you know, they've had retired priests as their pastors. It's a small town, small place. Maybe 150 people show up for mass on a weekend type of thing. It's also a really, really small church. Um, but a lot of devoted Catholic families there mm-hmm. who raised their kids in the, like their church never, never even really needed a religious ed program Yeah, because the parents did it all because they wanted to do it all. Mm-hmm. And you see, and then they, they would hold like a Christmas dance every year and you'd see people from six months old to 86 years old at the dance. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because everyone shared the life of faith together. And I just, I think this is a direction, like this is where the church can support that is to say like, how can we help, like essentially how can we help the parishioners get to know each other so that they can do things naturally on their own? Like we, they have, to, I don't know, I, we have to find ways to encourage parents to do, to live the faith at home. That this isn't something you're just going to, if you send your kid, like, because this is where I also get a little, not weirded out, but it's, I, I, I don't get it, I guess, is um, you get sometimes you have the parent who will send their kid to the youth group because it's really important that they, they have connection with the church, but they won't go to mass on Sunday. Or sure. you have them saying to the youth group, but that's the only thing, and they go to mass on Sunday, but that's it. And I'm like, but if the faith is actually, and they're like, I really want my kid to stay Catholic, but I'm like, but are you praying with them every day? Or are they seeing you reading the Bible once in a while or, or studying the catechism or something? When that's not, ha- when it's not being lived at home, like every family I know where it's lived at home, there is a very strong correlation between that and the kids staying in the faith. Yeah. It's huge. And the church needs to do more to support that. But our structures and the way we've formed ourselves isn't built for that right now. Right. So this is getting to my my point in a very yeah. roundabout way. Uh, as another example, so my parish has a Catholic school. And it's the last Catholic school that's in our entire county in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And it was said that like we have to keep this school open because if not, there won't be any Catholic education right in the county now i want our school to be open and successful and good i want that very Mm -hmm. much so you know i've seen how helpful and good and beautiful catholic schools can be okay so i'm not not dissing the catholic school but i heard that and i was like oh 
that means we've already failed. Mm-hmm. If our idea is that the only way people are going to get Catholic education is through this Catholic school, I think we've already failed. And so much of the focus, I think, in a lot of parishes, I think in my parish, has been like, we have to teach the kids the faith. We have to teach the kids the faith. We have to bring them up in the faith. We have to do this. And I'm thinking, no. I think most of our resources should be, be going should be going to adult faith formation. Mm-hmm. And like... And if, if that means that faith formation for children has to suffer a little bit, I, I'm, I'm not happy about that, yeah. but I think that's what needs to happen. And I would like, uh, and I would like for, uh, the reason why I said we need more ministry and less catechesis is not like, don't get me wrong. I think catechesis is essential. Uh, But I look, I guess I could look at some of our young people who, and I mean, so many of them are struggling with anxiety, depression, that they've grown up with pornography. Mm-hmm. And that's something that needs ministry mm-hmm. first, right? Mm-hmm. And I think if we devoted more of our resources to helping form the parents, uh, we wouldn't be in the position that we're at. Right. And it's not just parents. So, I mean, there's a few things going through my head with this and I... It's something I've pondered a lot. And I'm not against youth ministry per se, obviously, right? I know some great people out there who do great work in this. Pat's right. one of them, right? Nick's another. Yeah. Um, and I know they do good work. And I'm really grateful they're out there doing it. And I'm not saying that we should just halt it completely either. No. Right? No. But I've I've often wondered if perhaps... Like this is like I personally see ministry like what was important 20, 30 years ago with regards to youth ministry, and I think it did bear some really good fruit. Mm-hmm. I think that's moved to, to starting off with the young adult ministry. Because I don't know about you, but at least I don't know. Maybe it's just my my experience in my own diocese. But I find where I find a lot of people really coming to faith is not through youth groups, but it's through university. It's through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so they entered their life of faith here, and it's here they're going to meet their often their future spouses, or they're going to enter their vocation, right? And but it's also here that they see Catholic life being lived in an integrated way because they're also adults who have to make their own choices, and you know their friend invites them to go pray with morning prayer with them before class on Tuesday or whatever. They go do that, and so the kind of university or young adult ministry becomes a organic place where it's something that's lived more than just inside the group. And then they get, and then these are the people who are then going into marriage who are going to raise their kids. They're going to live that same organic way with their families. I think you can still do that with youth groups too. It's, but it's hard when kids are going to like different schools and stuff like that. Um, I just, I, I, I've found personally more fruit and maybe it's just because my, my personal gifts tend towards more young adult ministry. Uh-huh. Um, but I think that, that I, I agree, it, but like starting off with adults and, and to say, and then to give them the tools and the community and the spaces necessary to foster friendship with each other and to build groups organically where, and I think like it, you have to kind of plant, if you will, people who are already living that in these groups <laughs> because they can be leaders to, to encourage others to pray and to, just to live this organically. But um I, I agree. I think there there needs to be more emphasis on those who like we need to give we need to give ca- Catholic adults 
the spiritual tools to mature in their faith so that they can take it as their own and to stop being dependent upon us in an unhealthy way. Yeah. And I, and the thing is with, with, uh, uh, young adult ministry, it's a very complicated kind of ministry because uh, part of it is like, okay, what's the cutoff age? But also it's um, to keep in mind like young families as well. Yeah. Because it's a lot of times when it's after you get married and you have uh, your first kid or you have a couple of kids that you begin to be more open to the deeper questions of life. Mm-hmm. So uh, to incorporate them in the ministry as well. And like I said, I really, I honestly don't have answers for this. I'm really just trying yeah. to think this out a little bit. Um, and I'm not saying, okay, we need to throw away CCD. Uh, but a lot of times uh, adult faith formation, sometimes even youth ministry uh, or young adult ministry, it's seemed as a luxury for a parish, mm-hmm. like employing a full-time uh, young adult minister like oh you must be a rich parish if you're doing that it's like well right. maybe that's where we need to put our resources first actually right um and it, it it's also tough because uh you definitely want to help prepare um kids for you know communion right and first reconciliation so i'm not saying that but i think we see these things at we need to maybe direct our resources in a different way. Like, I guess one little idea that's going through my mind with all this, it's maybe not to exclude totally youth ministry per se or anything like that, but to say like part of your job as youth minister is to reach out, to get to know and to um, build up the faith of the parents so that what you do here is planted at and, and nurtured at home because like i think the problem becomes like whatever ministry we're doing off like especially with younger people you're planting seeds but no one's there to tend to the soil mm-hmm. right and it's not really your job in the life of the church to tend the soil but you can form other people to tend the soil like their parents and so i think you know that's maybe one way to think outside the box but with this to say your also job is to do something with these parents and because then these kids well, first, these parents get to know each other, and these kids see, wait, being in the faith isn't weird. Because I think the other problem is when we do youth ministry, even if they're with other kids, they're still often isolated because maybe their parents are making them go to this, and they don't really want to hang out with the other kids. Or they're the only one sure. from their school going to that youth group or whatever it is. Regardless of what those problems are, um, there's still isolation because it's not organic within the family, and they're not seeing it being organically lived to these other families. But suddenly, if you've got 10 families whose kids go to the youth group, and they all know each other. The kid's excited to go, and then they become a natural evangelizer who's then say to their other friends, hey, you should come to this youth group, and this is what we do. And, and it, it kind of, but I think we need to also allow for less programmatic and more organic growth, and we need to be facilitators of that organic growth. Yeah, and this is something that I've talked with uh, Pat about, um, and he was telling me about, like, uh, we need to take this this biblical reality seriously, uh, that to those who have, more will be given, mm-hmm. and for those who have not, even what they have will be taken away. Like, it's okay to focus on those families that are more open to things. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean we abandon everyone else, but it's like, if we invest in them, they're the ones that are going to change things right. more than we are. Exactly. exactly. It's why it's so important to have, you know, like a, 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 you know, for a youth group, having like a leadership team of teens, because yeah. they're going to grow your youth group way more than you are. Exactly. Um, and so, but there, there's such a temptation uh, to try to fix everyone and everything right now. Instead of just looking at the reality on the ground, realizing that it's chaos and saying, okay, this is a big mess that we can't fix. We need to remember that God is in control. But what can we do well? Mm-hmm. 
and let's put our energy and effort into the things we can do well. Let's focus on these volunteers or on this family or on these kids. We don't abandon everyone else, yeah. but it's okay to focus more so on these things because that's how the actual growth is going to happen. So can I give you my weird idea for baptism prep? Yeah. It kind of, it's connected with all this. So um, I found when I was at the cathedral, I did all the baptism prep and I found programs just a waste of time. And now here, here's the interesting thing, by the way, folks, the catech, uh, the, the, the law of the church, canon law actually says that we need to make, ensure that the parents are dutifully prepared. So this mm-hmm. is why there's baptism prep courses. We're actually fulfilling the law of the church. I will say, though, I have a personal rule that if you are active, if I know you're actively living your faith, I'm not going to make you take a prep program because you've already been prepared by living your faith. Mm-hmm. So you don't need to take a prep program. It's for those who maybe aren't so prepared. So um, I, was, I was, and I, I, ha- I was about to start implementing this idea that I got moved to Port Alberni. Um, and it's um, the idea was to find a, f- a group of families who I knew well. And if someone phoned my parish, uh, they'd say, yeah, we want to get our kid baptized. Okay, uh, the Smiths are going to call you next week at some point, and they'll, and they'll uh, give you more information. Okay, and then the Smiths would invite the Joneses over for dinner to their house. And that's it. That's all they would do is just to get to know them and, and, and to, um, to talk to them about, you know, faith and to share. And the, the Smiths would share their life of faith with the, the Joneses. You know, they'd pray grace and not, nothing in a very imposed way. They'd just pray grace with their families, maybe yeah. pray with the family at the end of the night. They'd see, wait, this is a family that lives the faith and is happy and joyful, right? So, like, there'd be a real witness to this. And then after that, um, they would invite them to um to come to the you know the 930 mass with them and we'll then they'd sit together you say we'll, we'll sit with you because if you haven't been for a while you, that's a lot I, I actually this is one of the reasons i, I did this what i was going to do this was because i heard from a lot of people i'm happy to go to mass i just don't know anyone yeah right they feel alone so i'm like so you create a connection to bond with another family right right and then and like also you get the thing of like hey we have we've got kids and they're crazy because they're children and you've got kids and they're crazy because they're children like let's help each other out yeah. and like sit in the same pew and see if we can <laughs> use some teamwork to wrangle the kids at mass yeah like something like that i think would be huge yeah so then and then after that mass they would come to meet with the priest maybe with other families too and again both those families the, the kind of sponsoring family if you will and this because here's the other thing a lot of times when people want to get their kid baptized they may not know anyone to be a godparent yeah um, that happens mm-hmm. right so all this you put all this together and then they come to this little bit of time where the priest is essentially explaining the ritual to them and i you use the ritual as a form of catechesis yeah. and they say and then this is the date of the baptism and that's your baptism prep but the idea, my hope with that was kind of the idea of you've built a connection. Then after the baptism, the Joneses might say to each other, you know, I really enjoyed our time with the Smiths. Let's go to the Mass again and see if they're there. Right? And so yeah. these things kind of happen organically. And it becomes, they start, they stop seeing church as, a, as just this imposed duty that they have to do. But they see it as a, as a community that's alive in faith. And that becomes more integrated, less programmatic. And and allows and then it involves the laity to lit, to be witnesses to organic life in the family, 
to others, to bring that to faith in others, then it starts to kind of, you know, that spiritual idea of spiritual multiplication where it just kind of starts to unfold, where then maybe some of those families who got their kid baptized, you can incorporate them into your leadership teams and they can be people who host, right? And that's how you kind of make it grow. So that, you know, kind of speaking with all this, that's kind of one of my ideas, I thought, because I think that plays well into this and you're really allowing the parents to be matured in faith. Yeah, I like that a lot. So I guess uh, it all goes back to Marcel's tweet. He's the sponsor of this podcast. Now is a time to, because like, you know, everyone's just going to be doing their best this fall. Yeah. And you shouldn't feel bad if your best isn't great, because this is crazy trying to figure out how to do faith formation and online stuff and social distancing. That's insane. So just, I think everyone just is going to do their best Mm -hmm. and we'll, we'll just do what we can do. But I also think that this time is a time to think more deeply about how we do things and how we can do them better in the future. And I hope this conversation was helpful. At least if you heard all of my bad thoughts, you're going to like, oh, I have better thoughts. And in that case, you've brought good out of evil. And that's great. And I'm happy all about things that too. work together for those who love God. For good <laughs> for those who love God. Yes. Exactly. Romans 8 to 8. Wow, look at you quoting scripture all of a sudden. It's like the second time you've done that in two podcasts Wait, it's, and it's the same scripture quote oh okay see that's how that's how much i paid attention yeah uh hey cool. everybody thanks for listening please leave a review on itunes and tell your friends about the podcast tell your enemies too because jesus says we must love our enemies you can find me trying to figure out what to do with all kinds of ministry you can find me at fr harrison uh, contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Peace. God bless.